When I'm dealing with the problems of temptation, I generally like to turn to the Lord's temptations in the wilderness, to when Jesus went out into the wilderness after his baptism and was tempted by the devil for 40 days and for 40 nights he went without food. And he was famished, the scripture says. He was starving, he was hungry. And when you're hungry, things take on a different perspective. The world looks different to you. Expectations change. Needs and wants change. Hopes and dreams change. Temptations become really palpable. They taste in those moments when you have deprived yourself of food and depend only upon God. Your perspective changes. And this is where Jesus was in the wilderness after 40 days and 40 nights. He was famished, the scripture says. And in the dark there as he prayed, I'm sure he looked around and he saw these rocks that were seated around him that were sitting on either side and out on the edge of the flickering light from the flickering fire. And they looked like little lumps of bread to him. And the devil, the snaky one, the slithery one comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, Change these rocks, transform these rocks, transmogrify these rocks, change them into loaves of bread and eat and be full. Now this was a real temptation. For you and me, it would not be a temptation. We do not have the ability to change rock into bread. I've eaten some bread that tastes like rock, but we don't have the ability to change rocks into bread. Bread, But for Jesus, this was a real temptation. This was within his capability. This was a temptation. Now, how is it a temptation? What is he being tempted to do? And how does this relate to us? How can the first temptation in any way relate to us since we can't change rocks into bread? How can this possibly relate to us? What Jesus was being tempted with was the temptation to be self-reliant, the temptation to depend upon himself, the temptation to be able to do that which he knows he can do to supply for himself, the temptation to rely not upon God, but instead upon himself. Now, he's been in the wilderness now for 40 days and 40 nights. He has been praying and fasting He's been trusting in God, and at the moment of his greatest vulnerability, the devil says, okay, if you're hungry, change these rocks into loaves of bread. And it would have been so easy, so easy to depend upon his own ability to change those rocks into bread. The temptation we face is similar. Rather than depend upon God, Rather than depend upon God's word, rather than depend upon the promises of God, rather than depend upon God's grace, rather than depend upon Jesus Christ, rather than depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit, rather than depend upon God, we should depend upon ourselves. And that is what we're taught to do day after day in our culture. We are taught to be self-reliant, to depend upon ourselves, to take care of ourselves, to take care of problems ourselves 
Not to depend upon others, and certainly not depend upon God, but depend upon ourselves. That is what we're taught by our society, by our culture. It's self-reliance. Jesus shows us the way. His response to this temptation to depend upon himself and change those rocks into bread is a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus responded to the temptation to trust in himself by quoting from the Bible and trusting in the Bible, quoting from the Word of God and trusting in the Word of God. He combated the first temptation by citing, by quoting the Word of God itself. And we're called to do the same. To defeat the first temptation, and the first temptation is always to trust in the self, rather than in God, to have faith in the self and the resources that we have rather than in God. The first temptation is to trust in the self. And the way to defeat the first temptation is to place your trust in the Word of God. Place your trust in Jesus Christ Himself, in the revealed Word of God. Place your trust in God, not in self. When we face the first temptation, the temptation to trust in the self, the temptation to ignore God and trust in the self, we are called to follow the example that Jesus had for us, to quote the Word and trust in it. The problem is what follows. I mean, it can be easy to say that, but then to do it can be a challenge. Now, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, we quote, quote from Scripture too, but guess what? Guess who else can quote from Scripture? The devil himself. The snaky one can quote from Scripture and do it very well because he knows it better than we do. And that's exactly what happened in the story next. The devil took Jesus to the holy city, to the pinnacle of the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will commend his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. If you really are the Son of God, if you really are going to depend upon the Word of God, if you're not going to depend upon yourself but upon the Father himself, if you're going to depend upon the Word, then prove your faith in the Word and throw yourself from the pinnacle of the temple, and those angels will catch you. You won't go splat on the pavement, you'll be caught by the angels. Prove your faith. Prove your trust in the Word. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Except that it is a misquote and a misinterpretation of Scripture. The devil is twisting. The devil is manipulating. The devil is adjusting. The devil is taking and misinterpreting and misapplying the Scripture. And the second temptation for us is to do the same thing. If the first temptation is to trust in the self and not in the Word of God, the second temptation is to trust in our own interpretation, our own understanding, and our own twisting of the Word of God, our own pulling it out of its original context 
to make it mean what we want it to mean. No one is better at twisting the Word of God and making it mean what we want it to mean than preachers. We're all really good at it. We're taught how to do it. I've watched preachers on television, on the internet, string together passages of Scripture from all over the Bible, yanking them out of their context and knitting them together to make them say things that they do not say in context. That's not preaching, that's proof texting. That's not proclaiming the Word of God, it's proclaiming your own Word, stealing from the Bible to do it. The second temptation is, yes, to quote from the Word of God, but to give it your own spin, your own interpretation, your own understanding, your own application, your own meaning. That's the second temptation. And we have an example of that here today in the book of Genesis. We had in our reading today, first we had the quote of what God said. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the garden of good and evil, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's what God said. That's the Word of God. In fact, that's just about the only Word of God that Adam and Eve had in the garden. That's the whole Word of God. How more simple can it be? Be fruitful and multiply, and you can eat of any tree except the one in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree, and that's it. Theology class would be very quick. Bible class would take no time at all. Memorization, you can have it done lickety-split. Only it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough for the man and the woman. It wasn't good enough for Adam and Eve. It wasn't good enough. And the devil knew it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said, now right there you know he's really crafty because he talks. He's a little sneaky devil. You don't expect him to have the ability to talk. Most snakes don't know how to talk, but this one does. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from the tree, from any tree in the garden? Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, right there you got a major mistake. You're talking with a snake. Don't do it. Ladies, if a snake comes and starts talking to you, don't talk back. I don't care if he's pretty or cute or rich. Don't talk back. Uh, guys, young men, you hear that? If a snake comes talking to you, don't talk back to her. Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Trick question. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. 
Now, is that what God said? It's partially what God said. God said you shouldn't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shouldn't eat of that tree. But you notice what Eve, Eve did? She added, nor shall you touch it. It wasn't good enough to have a prohibition against eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't good enough to have this prohibition against eating from this tree. That wasn't good enough for Eve. That wasn't good enough for the man and the woman. They had to make it harder. They had to make it stricter. It wasn't good enough. It's as if they thought that God didn't realize that if we got too close to it, we might want to eat it anyway. So let's make it tougher. Let's make it harder. Nor shall you touch it. And right there, Eve twisted, adapted, changed, molded, interpreted the Word of God out of its context and beyond its meaning. Right there, it really wasn't so much eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was a serious problem, friends. Don't misunderstand me. But really the problem started way before. Right here. When Eve adds to the Word of God, when Eve displays mistrust, a lack of faith in the Word of God, as if the Word of God is insufficient for her and her husband. And they have, it has to be harder, more difficult, more stringent. I've got to add to the Word of God to ensure that we won't eat of the tree, nor shall we touch it. Sounds good, sounds reasonable. But it's an illustration of the second temptation. To take the true Word of God and by interpretation twist it and apply it and add to it in ways that are not intended and which serve no spiritual divine purpose and instead separate us from God. The first temptation is to depend upon the self, to have faith in the self, to trust the self and not God. It's defeated by depending upon the Word of God. The second temptation follows if you depend upon the Word of God and defeat the first temptation with the Word, now the second temptation comes to twist the Word. To make it say what you want it to say, how you want it said, to whom you want it said. It enables you, the second temptation enables you to quote from the Bible in certain verses and ignore other verses. Usually you're quoting prohibitions that other people need to live by while you ignore those that apply to you. That's the second temptation and that's generally how it works. It also is expressing a lack of faith. In God, that God knows what God's talking about. Don't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you will die. Wasn't good enough for Adam and Eve. I had to add to the word, nor shall you touch it. Now, it seems reasonable, but it's not. 
Every time we add to the Word of God, every time we adjust the Word of God, every time we twist the Word of God, every time we rip the Word of God out of its context and make it mean something that it did not manifestly mean, we run the risk of the second temptation. We run the risk of falling to the second temptation. Because when you twist the Word of God, when you spin the Word of God, when you change the meaning of the Word of God, my friends, you shift the focus of faith away from God and towards the self yet again. If you defeat the first temptation through the Word of God, and if you defeat the second temptation by standing solidly on the Word of God, you have to face the third temptation. You stand solidly on the Word of God as Jesus did. And how did Jesus do it? He, yet again quotes from Scripture. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not think that you can make God obey your interpretation of His Scripture. Huh? Well, that's what you're doing. When you twist the Word of God to make it mean something that you want it to mean, you're telling God, I'm sorry God, your Word is insufficient. Why don't you come over here and obey my understanding of your Word? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Jesus quotes from the Word to defeat the second temptation. He stands on the solid Word of God. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Don't try to make Him obey your interpretation of the Word. He has His own interpretation, and His is right. Not ours. Well, does that mean I can ever really understand the Bible? Hmm, yes, but it takes humility, it takes grace, it takes a willingness to understand that you aren't perfect, your interpretation is contingent, temporary, could very well be wrong, and you better be willing and ready to accept that God could hit you upside the head and make you change your mind. It happens to me more than I care to admit. The first temptation is depend upon yourself, not the Word of God. The second temptation is depend upon your own interpretation of the Word of God, your own understanding of the Word of God, your own spin of the Word of God, and make God obey that interpretation or spin. <laughs> Ain't going to happen, friends. God doesn't play that tune. The third temptation follows from the second. Okay, you're going to depend upon the Word of God, fine. You're going to depend upon God's own interpretation of it and not try to spin it, not try to take it out of its context, but accept what it says, where it says it, and how it says it, fine. What's God's will? Well, we know what God's will is. God's will is that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a wonderful statement. It means that everybody in the universe is going to proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It comes from Philippians. Okay, fine. If that's God's will, the whole world will worship Jesus. If that's God's will, that the whole world will come to Jesus and follow Jesus, okay, 
what does Satan do next? The devil takes him to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and says to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Right there you have the, the robot from Lost in Space going, danger, Will Robinson, danger, danger. It's obvious this is wrong. It's obvious this can't be right. It's obvious this is not something that you want to have happen. You never worship the devil. You just don't do it. Things not to do. Don't shoot yourself in the head with a gun. Don't worship the devil. Okay, good, got it. All these, Jesus... All of these nations I will give you. And before you say, well, did he have the authority to do that? Uh-huh. He could do it. All of these I will give you. If you will fall down and worship me. Now, what was Jesus facing? He was facing a ministry. He's going to have to gather these disciples around him and teach them and preach to them and have them not understand him and reject him and run from him and betray him. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be tried. He's going to be convicted. He's going to be whipped and punished to the point of death. And then he's going to be put on a cross and die. For the sins of the whole world, he's going to have the Father turn the Father's back on him because sin is going to be on him. The sin of the whole world. And he's going to die and be buried. And three days later raised from the dead. And then the whole world. Obviously not instantly. But then the whole world. Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the will of God is to have the whole world turn to Jesus. So why not bypass the teaching of those crazy disciples, their denial, their running away from him, their betrayal of him, why not bypass the trial, the conviction, the whipping and the scourging? Why not bypass the crucifixion, the dying and the death, the pain and the anguish, the separation from the Father? Why not bypass all of the agony and just go straight to the knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? I mean, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. I want to get God's job done for God without all the pain and the anguish. Hey, Father, I got a good deal for you. Let me worship Satan, and then I can get the whole world to follow me, and I don't have to die. And if you think that isn't a real temptation, that sounds strange. If you think it isn't a real temptation to bypass the pain and the agony, think again. Think again. If you could get out of the pain and the agony of this life with something that nobody else needs to know, you'd probably do it. If you could get out of all the pain and the agony you can imagine, and a whole lot you can't, by doing something that nobody else needs to know, no one else will ever know, you'd probably do it.
Jesus' response is to be our response. Yet again, he defeats the third temptation the same way he defeated the first and the second. Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil left him. And angels came and waited, ministered to him, waited upon him. The third temptation is the most obviously wrong and yet the one we fall to. If we survive the first temptation, if we survive the second temptation, the third one is lurking. Let's get through this easy. Let's get through this quietly. Let's set aside the call to worship God. Let's set aside the call to have only God as our God. Let's worship another God quietly on the side. No one needs to know. Pull out your wallet and take a look at your gods that you've got there. You've got God dollar and God 20 and God 100 if you're lucky. You've got God credit card. You've got God social security card. You got God driver's license because with that you can do a whole lot of things like go on trips and boat. We've got all sorts of gods, my friends, that compete for allegiance with God the Father. We've got all sorts of gods that we are called to bow down to, to pay tribute to, to worship in one way or another, to express the worth of, which is the meaning of worship, to express worth in, to give worth to, to say this is of preeminence in my life. What gods do you worship? What gods do you worship? You can determine what gods you worship in a very simple way. How do you spend your time and how do you spend your money? Remember back before I went on vacation, I encouraged us to tithe our time. I suggested, I challenged us all to tithe our time. To take 10% of our day and devote it to God. To take 10% of our day, every day, day in and day out. Not just on Sundays, when sometimes we get close to that 10%. But take 10% of every day. And spend it in prayer, in the reading and the study of Scripture. I encouraged us to tithe our time. Just the tithe. We spend a lot more than a tithe of our time at work, playing, eating, sleeping, watching television, surfing the internet, reading and posting on Facebook. We spend more than a tithe of our time doing those other things. You can tell what's important in your life. You can tell what's, in, what's worth in your life, what has worth for you by how you spend your time and how you spend your money. So, do you worship the devil? Well, I hope not, Greg. Hmm. Do you worship yourself? That's kind of like worshiping the devil. Are you worshiping your own mind, your own interpretation? I guess the second temptation, the first and the second temptations, 
are real problems for me because I fight continually with pride. Pride at the attainment, the intellectual attainment, the study of the Word of God and the theology of the church. I struggle with pride knowing that I've learned a lot. And then I'm struck when someone asks me a very simple question at how very little I really know. I'm humbled at the realization that no matter how much I learn, I will always, always know far less than I need to learn. This Lent, I encourage us to examine our lives. Where do we have worth? Where do, what do we place in position of imminent worth, preeminent worth? How do we spend our time and our money? What do we focus on in our living? Do we trust in the Word of God? Do we trust in the meaning of the Word of God that God has for it and not one that we have placed on it? Do we worship God? Or do we worship ourselves, money, TV, sports, the internet, our pets, our family, our nation? What gods do we worship? This Lent, I encourage us, as we prepare to see our culpability in the death of Jesus, as we prepare to see and experience yet again the role that we played in the suffering and death of Jesus, I encourage us to be in prayerful consideration of these questions, the questions of the three temptations that Jesus faced for us in the wilderness and showed us the way to defeat them. And I encourage us to learn from these examples and most especially to exercise faith in the Word of God through which we have victory in Jesus. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. been listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of Northgate United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2014 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at Northgate United Methodist Church, 3700 West Northgate Drive, Irving, Texas, 
75062. This program was produced by Dr. Gregory Neal.